we're looking at some of the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, and we continue in chapter 13 with what are called twin parables. They seem to be closely related one to another, beginning in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. A man found it and hid it again and went with great joy and gave all that he had and bought that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he sold everything and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. A few years ago on one of the evening newscasts, they told the story of Ray Wittstein. Ray Wittstein collected $5 from each of his two sons and took the $10 and went to a local rock shop. And he was supposed to buy them uh, the best rock that he could buy for them. So he came to a group of agates that were all in a basket uh, together, priced $15. And he looked through it, and he found one, and he pulled it out. And he went to the owner of the rock shop, and he said this. He said, are you really, are you going to charge me $15 for this rock? Well, the owner of the rock shop said, well, it's not as pretty as the other agates. Okay, I'll give it to you for 10 Great, he said, and gave the owner $10 and walked out. He was hardly able to contain himself because when he got to his car, he knew what he had. He had a star sapphire, 1,509 carats, worth $2.5 million uncut and up to $10 million if it were cut. He got a deal. Maybe the best deal that anybody's gotten since Matthew 13, where there was a man who found a treasure hidden in a field, and he hid it back, and then when sold all that he had and bought the field and gained the treasure. Now, as we think about those stories, you might be troubled a little bit about the ethics of that kind of thing. Uh, what about a man who discovers a treasure in a field and then covers it up, doesn't tell anybody? Can he do that? Well, I doubt Jesus was particularly interested in the ethics of the story, but just to put your mind at ease, uh, the rabbis had a rule on what they called lifting, quote, unquote. Uh, So many people uh, would, in the ancient world, bury treasures in fields that actually was not an uncommon occurrence for somebody to find it. And the belief was it's a little bit like winning the lottery in our day. You may or may not agree with whether someone should play the lottery, but you agree that it's legal if they hit the jackpot. And so what the rabbi said is that the treasure belongs not to the person who planted, not to the person who has the field, but actually belongs to the one who lifts it out of the ground. But I think Jesus wasn't worried about that. I think Jesus is worried about his followers and the other people around him. And I think to put it in uh, uh, terms of the other story, he realized that he was surrounded and meeting lots of people who were spending their time looking for $15 rocks and missing the most valuable thing that was there in front of them. Jesus knew that people go after the pretty agates of life, their home, the occupation, their entertainment, their security, their, inner, their toys that they have. He knows that people make sacrifices for all sorts of things, but they never seem to really sacrifice with, for that which matters the most. 
What he says is the kingdom of God. Now, in Matthew, by the way, it's called kingdom of heaven because Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, probably, and Jews didn't try not to use God's name, so they would often substitute God for heaven and uh, use that um, or substitute the word heaven where they wanted to say God but, uh, but couldn't speak it. And so Jesus says, this is what's most valuable. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, seek first for that kingdom. And then everything else will be added to you. Everything else. Jesus makes it clear that the treasure and the pearl that is most valuable is the kingdom of God. Which raises the question for us who are here this morning, why don't we look for it then? Why don't we really seek the kingdom of God? And at least in terms of the parable, the only answer and explanation I can give for myself and my behavior is, I don't really think it's worth all that much. There are a lot of things that seem prettier. A lot of the things seem more valuable and more interesting in my day than the kingdom of God. Now, why would I get to a place like that? Why would any of us come to a place where we would devalue what is ultimate in the universe? And I thought about that, and I realized, I think one of the things that happens is that's just the way that uh, the world has operated for centuries. The world is called the things that are transitory the most valuable. And the things that are eternal, the least valuable. And so we sort of come by it naturally. And the way you look or what you have, even though neither one of them last, are more highly valued than the things that can be kept inside. It reminds me of a parable Soren Kierkegaard told uh, 150 years ago. It was about two thieves who broke into a jewelry store. And they didn't steal anything. But what they did is they switched the price tag on all the jewelry. And the jewelry that was the most expensive, they put the cheap price tag on. And the stuff that really was like costume jewelry, they put the most expensive price tag on. And so for the next few weeks, people came in and got some really good bargains or they paid way too much before anybody really figured it out. And Kierkegaard, of course, was saying that our world has switched the price tags on us. And those things that are most important, they tell us, well, they're okay, But the things that are least important, they've made very valuable to us. I think that's one of the reasons I don't look. Well, another reason maybe I don't look hard or you don't look hard is, well, you know, I've kind of done that. You know, I mean, look, I I showed up for church on the July 4th weekend. I mean, what do you want? You know, I've sort of done this faith thing and and I've done it and I'm not sure I've found that it's all that great. Well, I guess the question Jesus might ask us is, have you really done that faith thing? Because I think one of the things that we do is we tend to make God one good thing among many. So we have God, and we have country, and we have family, and we have job, and we have popularity and safety and whatever. And they're, they're all equals. And maybe God gets to be first among equals. But really, we don't see God as the ultimate. God becomes in the kingdom of God like just another spoke on our wheel rather than the hub from which every other spoke must uh, come off of. And one of the things is when you make God just a little bit more important than everything else, you really haven't lived life in the kingdom of God. It was like G.K. Chesterton said some years ago. He said it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting, but by and large Christianity had not been tried at all. Because no one really wants to give themselves completely over to the kingdom of God, so they really don't know what the kingdom of God is like. As you know, uh, on vacation I read a lot about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and 
that's really been working on me. And I remember one of the things he said to the Germans as the Nazis came into control. And he said to the churches that supported Hitler. He said, what you have to understand is that Jesus is not something you have in addition to your bread. He said, Jesus is bread itself. If you just want to make the kingdom of God one other good thing among many, says Bonhoeffer, you're going to miss it because that's not what it is. The kingdom of God is everything, not one good thing. Interesting, the two things the parables have in common is that both the merchant and the man who found the treasure gave everything they had to possess the treasure. And so one of the things I think it might be saying to us is this. Part of the reason we don't know and experience the value of the kingdom of God is, quite frankly, we don't sacrifice for it. And the more that we give and commit ourselves to God, the more we experience the presence and power of God. That there's a correlation between our sacrifice and our experience of that power and that presence. So when we don't give much, we don't really experience much, and it doesn't seem all that valuable to us. Jesus would have been familiar with a parable that rabbis had told before Jesus' day about a man who set off to see a city filled with splendors, and he was traveling by sea. And he got close enough to kind of see the city, and he got in a distance because it gleamed so much. And he got hit by a big wave, and he started to take on water. A little bit closer, hit by a second wave, taking on more water. He saw the third wave coming and he saw the splendors of the city and he made a decision right then. He took all of his cargo and tossed it overboard so he would be able, without cargo, to make it into the city with splendors. As you probably know, Jesus would, in the Sermon on the Mount, talk about a city on a hill. Augustine would talk about the city of God four centuries later. It was a way of talking about the kingdom of God to talk about this gleaming city. And basically, if you're taking a bunch of stuff with you, you're probably not going to make it. But when you give all that you have, when you're willing to make that commitment, you find your way into the splendors of that city, said the parable. And I think it's very similar to the parable Jesus would tell these disciples a few years later. From our own history, you probably remember the lessons of Cortez. Remember Cortez in 1519? He's got his ships. He's got his troops. They're outside Veracruz. He knows it's not going to be easy to take that city and to take that area. So what he does as they've unloaded the soldiers, he burns the ships. So there's no thought of going back where they were. They come with nothing but themselves. And they have to totally commit to the battle that is ahead. And I think sometimes the kingdom of God could be compared to that. If we want to turn around and go back, or we only want to give part of ourselves, we really don't experience all that God has for us. God has much to give us, but the parable may say we won't receive that until we give of ourselves. Bonhoeffer, again, called this a costly grace as opposed to a cheap grace. He says discipleship is a costly grace because it costs because we have to follow Jesus, so we give up control. But it's a grace because it is Jesus we're following. And he gives us more in exchange than we ever give. So is it worth the total commitment that you and I have? Because that's the only way we're really going to experience the power and the presence of the kingdom of God. Well, let me put it this way. Let's say that you give all that you have and are to God. 
that you commit yourself totally and you let God, uh, through Christ, rule every moment of your life. And let's say you don't experience God's presence and power in much fuller way. I doubt that will happen, but let's say you don't. What's the worst that happens to you? Well, there's another parable with which Jesus was probably familiar. If not, his disciples would become familiar with it. It was actually a fable from Aesop. And the fable was about a farmer who was about to die. He had two sons. So what he told his sons as he was about to leave this large uh, land, plot of land that they had to them, he said, I forgot to tell you, or actually I think he said, I waited to tell you that there's treasure hidden in that field. And then he died and the field came to the sons. Well, you know immediately what the sons did. They turned that field up and over again and again looking for that treasure. Well, they never found it, but in their turning of the field over and over, it became more uh, uh, conducive to growing good crops. It became profitable, and they had the biggest and best farm in the kingdom. It was almost a byproduct. And let's say you don't experience everything from the kingdom of God that you thought you might. What's the worst that happened? You lived a life loving God, loving your neighbor, trying to make a difference in the world where you are. And you got to hang out with really good people. That's the worst. And the best, it's everything that's promised. Seek first and everything will be added to you. One of the books I'm reviewing this summer is a book called Radical. And we'll pick up again next Sunday. David Platt has almost a throwaway sentence. But but if you're reading carefully, you'll find it. He said, Sometimes we wonder about people who sacrifice so much of their time and energy and resources to God's work. And then he said, five seconds after we die, we won't wonder about that anymore. It will become evident. Still wondering if it's worth your total commitment? Let me share one more thing with you. Dr. Livingston, I presume... David Livingston, in 1857, came back from Africa after many years of service to be honored at Cambridge University in December 4th, 1857. And they were honoring him for his great sacrifices. And this is what he said on that occasion. He said, I do not consider that I have sacrificed a thing at all. When I consider how much Jesus sacrificed for me by leaving heaven... To come to earth. Think about it. When you're deciding, is this pearl, is this treasure worth all that you have? Maybe you and I should think about that before we even make that decision. We should realize that when Jesus found us, he gave everything he had. He gave up heaven. He gave up his life. Before the kingdom of God was the pearl of great price, the treasure hidden in a field, Jesus considered us that treasure and that pearl. He gave everything for us. What will we give in return? 